you know, really your thorniest problems that you're having the most difficult traction where, you know, we've tried X, Y, and Z and none of them have worked. And so we feel like we're at a sticking point. Those are the ones that are probably the most ripe for innovation. Happy to say that uh, we've got a, a real interesting industry expert today. I'm pleased to introduce Rob Galbraith. Um, he's the author of The End of Insurance as We Know It and also known as the most interesting man in insurance. Welcome, Rob. Thanks. It's great to be with you today. Uh, I know you had quite a long career in the industry before uh, becoming a published author and acquiring that moniker. So maybe if you wouldn't mind sharing a little bit about your, your background and what led up to uh, publishing the book. Sure. Yeah, happy to. Um, so like a lot of folks, I fell into the insurance industry, um, probably more of a uh, an adjacent uh, industry um, based on my background. I've, I've certainly met all sorts of, you know, philosophy, art history and, and other uh, majors that said insurance is the only industry that would, would kind of open up to me. So I'm an economics major. And uh, when I moved down here, uh, I had a buddy of mine at the Federal Reserve say, hey, Rob, whatever you can do to get on with USA, you should do it. It's a great company. And at that time, USA was not nearly as well known as it is today, did not advertise on TV. And so if you're in the military, you were you know, pretty familiar with USA and uh, probably their biggest advertising was just word of mouth, right? From commanding officer to to new new troops and, and new uh, officers. And uh, Bounce Around had a, a several different leadership uh, roles within the uh, underwriting department at USA. Uh, I spent my last six years as a director of underwriting research, uh, doing a lot of uh, managing property risk and in the catastrophe space in general. And that's really where I got a lot of exposure to a lot of tech startups uh, and working with companies out of Silicon Valley and elsewhere that led me to write my book, The End of Insurance as We Know It, uh, which was a, a year-long process. And the book came out in uh, February of 2019. And uh, it's uh, amazing to find that it's found um, an audience internationally. It's obviously a niche book, you know, talking about insurance and technology. But um, I had the opportunity prior to the pandemic to uh, give talks all around the, the globe and uh, sign a, a bunch of copies of the, the book. And um, yeah, so uh, I've been on a, a lot of podcasts and uh, one of the hosts early on called me the most interesting man in insurance. And I, I love that. You know, it's a bit tongue in cheek, right? Insurance is not supposed to be too super exciting. But uh I myself am uh, fairly risk adverse, which is why being an underwriter was such a perfect fit and being in insurance. But uh, I've had a lot of adventures over the years, uh, all tied to you know my my roles and, and various jobs and uh, things that I've done within the industry. So, uh, but for insurance, I would have had a very boring life. So, uh, yeah, exciting to uh, speak about uh, you know what a, a, a fruitful career in the insurance industry can be. Yeah. All right. Great. So why, why don't we uh, put you on the spot regarding the book uh, out of the gate? So it's been a little over two years since you published the book and, you know, you give a lot of nice background on the industry and, and, and kind of history as to some of the things that lead up to um, the innovation. But then you, you you make some predictions about things. So um, of, of, of some of the things that, you know, you predicted, what, what are the, you know, one or two where you feel like your prediction has kind of remained spot on two years later and and maybe what are one or two where um, it's it's playing out a little bit differently than you expected or 
even maybe one or two new insights that you've developed since you published the book? Yeah, it's a great question. So I'll start with the what I got right. Um, and I would say uh, a big focus on uh, data and artificial intelligence. And um, I, I talk a lot about you know, sensors from telematics to smart home devices to wearables, you know, all manner of, of kind of, you know, cheap computer chips uh, that can stream information via cellular networks or Wi-Fi that are stored in, in uh, cloud computing servers uh, and then processed through artificial intelligence. You know, that was something that I felt needed to be central um, at the time. And I think that's certainly been borne out. There's still a long way to go, but I think some companies are really going beyond just collecting the data um, and, and kind of playing with it to actually gaining meaningful insights that are, are driving uh, behavior. And if you could dream it, it can almost be done from a technological standpoint. And it's really kind of our laws, our regulations, our business processes, and, and quite frankly, our mindset um, that, that really needs to, to catch up. In terms of, you know, what's what did I get wrong with change? I, I certainly look at the blockchain uh, and, and dig- distributed ledger technology, and there was a lot of buzz and, and hype about that. And I still think that that will be an important technology, but it wasn't nearly as mature as artificial intelligence, which, quite frankly, companies like Amazon and Netflix have been using for you know, a decade prior to it really getting big in insurance side. We're still at the bleeding edge, and you know, I look at uh, some of the, the, the crypto hype and the uh, NFTs, the big buzz now, non-fungible right. tokens and things like that. Like, There's some very interesting kind of side projects and, and applications, but it's still not mainstream in insurance, and, and I don't think it will be um, in the next five years or so. I, I do think in the 10 to 20-year time horizon, there's a lot of interesting possibilities. So I think it's something worth paying attention to and, and for companies to explore a little bit. But, you know, bottom line, I think uh, we were early in the hype cycle when the book came out, and, you know, we're now in this what they often call the trough of disillusionment on it. And yeah. So some interest variants coming over. So that's probably one I, I missed the the timing of, uh, certainly. Um, the other thing, you know, that I really missed, and I think the pandemic actually kind of brought this to light, was how important distribution is uh, and agents and, and, and brokers and um, how much um, kind of blending the digital side and the human side, trying to get that balance exactly right um, is really important. Um, yeah, I think there's been kind of a renaissance in the the agent and broker channel, but they have access to a lot more digital tools than they ever had before. And, and particularly you see it in the small commercial marketplace. There's a lot of marketplaces and you know ways for uh, risk to find capital. And so it's it's been a very um, innovative space and something I, I definitely don't uh, cover nearly as much as I should in my book. And then I think just the the work at home, the remote, right? Um, overnight, it went from a, a nice to have and a way to kind of, you know, right. tap into talent across the, the world. But I think most companies saw it as a, an accommodation for certain employees, right? And it may be an actuarial, which is a difficult class to recruit to, or maybe there's a, a you know, a, an employee that's been, uh, you know, a high performer for a number of years and, you know, you want to accommodate that, that individual. But um, it was seen very much as something to curry favor with the employee. And overnight, it became a business imperative, like, we need you to work at home. I don't care if you want to come to the office. Like you have to right. work at home. We have to make this work. And um, I think some people, you know, do better in that environment, thrive in that environment. And um, yeah, I, I think again, um, maybe we were trending that way. This work anywhere concept, but it very much had to to be borne out in 2020 and in 2021. And I think it has some long term implications. You know, it's great to make sure that the trains keep running, but 
you know, how do you have a brainstorming session? How do you collaborate? Yeah. How do you innovate as a company? You know, those longer terms, it's much harder over a Zoom meeting than a, you know, team offsite. And I think those are the types of things that people are still trying to work out. Obviously, you've seen some companies to say, we're never going back to the office, right? right? And I think that is going to be very interesting to see how that plays out over time. Yeah. So as someone who, you know, did settle into an underwriting role, the, the the opportunity to get exposure to Silicon Valley, the opportunity to sort of test some different ideas. And how did that come to be? Was that something you sought out? And for people maybe who today, you know, are, are sitting in underwriting roles or other parts of the insurance, you know, people chain and, and kind of seeing this insure tech revolution take place or their companies approach digital strategies, you know, do you have any advice for them as to how to embrace it or think about it in terms of their own career? Yeah, it's a terrific question. Um, so it's interesting, you know, I had some friends that <clears throat> went to work in, in Silicon Valley and so I had been out there and visited them and it felt like a, a completely different world than to my insurance world that I was kind of used to. And, you know, I, I think just there's that arrogance, right, of Silicon yeah. Valley that you know, we kind of felt, you know, really, oh, yeah, of course, you know, insurance, it's really complicated, highly regulated. You'll never be able to, you know, make hay in our industry. We'll never be disrupted. And, you know, I think that certainly insurance comes with its own unique challenges. It's a legal contract and a financial instrument all rolled into one. And, and I don't think you can bypass the regulations the way maybe an Uber or Lyft did right early on in, in ride sharing and things like that. Having said that, there's plenty of opportunity to disrupt. And that's really what my book is about. And I would encourage uh, anyone at any company, you know, um, just think about what your goals are, what some of your problems are. And, um, you know, really your thorniest problems that you're having the most difficult traction where, you know, we've tried X, Y, and Z and none of them have worked. And so we feel like we're at a sticking point. Those are the ones that are probably the most ripe for innovation. Um, and it is one of those, if you can dream it, there's a very good chance that, you know, it's out there or it's it's near to be out there. And even if it's early stage, even if it's not mature, you may have the opportunity to shape that solution uh, to exactly fit your needs and be able to acquire it at a fraction of the cost um, that, you know, a, a more established company that's uh, on its legs and is just looking to, to make another sale, right, can be. So I think it takes a lot of out-of-the-box thinking and a lot of creativity. The other thing I would say is, you know, the InsureTech world has gotten a lot better in terms of enterprise sales and reaching out and they probably hit up the same CIOs and CTOs and, and others, right? The same top 10 carriers and, and whatnot. These people are inundated with, with uh, unsolicited sales pitches. And, you know, really it's about knowing what you need and what you don't need, not just, you know, responding to every salesperson that comes knocking on your door, but, um, you know, doing your homework. What are our strategic priorities as an organization? Understanding that they could change understanding that agility and flexibility needs to be prized upon uh, among everything else because we don't know what the next six months holds, much less the next six years. Um, but at the same point, you have to have a plan, right? Uh, and you have to be headed in some direction. And so revisiting those assumptions often makes sense. But, um, you know, those are the ones that I think it, it makes sense to to look to innovate or, or look for technology to assist you as you execute on your strategy. Yeah. All right, Rob. Well, um, you know, I think we're coming up close to close to time here and I appreciate, um, you know, you're sharing your insights here. Is there anything else you would want to want to add, uh, you know, to those in the industry or those thinking about coming into the industry 
um, as a as a wrap up here? Yeah, I would just say, particularly for for younger people, I think we've all heard that you know we all know that we're a graying industry and we're seeing a, a wave of retirements. Um, so a couple of thoughts on that. Number one, not everyone that retires is going to be replaced by a human. Um, some will be replaced by technology. Um, it's not going to be a one-for-one. One. Not everyone's job is going away just because we have AI. But I think um, you're going to see you know, people have to work with machines, right? And, and it's going to be a combination. And it's going to be how do you work with the machine, not, you know, will you be replaced by a machine? And if, you know, you can't work with a machine, then your job is probably limited or your skill set is, is limited. So you need to kind of, you know, answer that question and understand that, you know, human-machine interaction. And then the other part is, you know, I think in the past, insurance was very much um, old school, almost like an apprenticeship at a blacksmith or something like that, where, you know, you had to spend five or 10 years in a particular role to make it to a senior, you know, claims adjuster writer, senior underwriter, and then you make it to lead. And hopefully maybe you could be a supervisor in, you know, 10, 15 years and an executive in 20 plus years. And I think those days are very numbered. First of all, we know people don't stay with the same uh, company 30, 40 years the way that they they had lifetime employment before. Um, if your company's not doing a good job, right, they're going to find a, a, a new role, better pay, you know, better work environment. It's never been easier again to, to see if the grass is greener on the other side. But, you know, more importantly, it's really about understanding the Contributions that those brand new employees can can build. I know my kids have a fundamentally different relationship with technology than I do. I'm very much a technology immigrant. They're a technology native, and so they can hit the ground running right away. They may not understand our system and our processes, but they can identify gaps and and better way to do things. Kind of you know life hacks and and, and things like that, right? So very much your brand new employees. It's almost like a two way street from the very beginning. Um, they don't have to have this you know base of knowledge that's built up over three to five years in order to start having meaningful ideas and, and meaningfully, meaningfully contributing at a higher level, they can do so from day one. And I think that is uh, fundamentally new for our industry and different for our industry. But companies need to recognize that and need to value that contribution because if they're not incorporating the ideas and feedback from brand new employees as much as they do their veteran employees, they're going to lose uh, those employees and ultimately lose the war for talent, which is so critical to achieving success in our industry. So, all right. Well, Rob, uh, appreciate the time. It's Rob Galbraith, the author of The End of Insurance as We Know It and the Most Interesting Man in Insurance. Thanks very much for joining us today. Great to be with you. Thanks so much for the time.